0: Okay, welcome to episode 17 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. We're here to talk round two of the NBA playoffs and uh, we're just talking off air about how it has been a little bit disappointing. We've we've had one game, I think, so far in round two that's been decided by less than 10 points. Uh, but what, what have you made of it so far, Daz? Are you similar to me, a bit disappointed um, with the closeness of games as much as anything else, uh, so even so much as the standard of basketball?
1: Well, I, I put it in the context, which is um, the short answer is yes. But my context is right. We start the season with this sort of fait accompli sense that it's a, you know, it's going to be Cleveland, Golden State, round three, and that the 82 games is a bit of a uh, bit of a formality. We're just going to watch injuries, and then I think by every measure was a phenomenally interesting regular season with MVP battles and. You know, um, Spurs challenging for the one seed and then Cleveland falling down, and just right all kinds of interesting storylines, which I was so pleasantly surprised by, and I know you were too. And then, flump, here we are back to a uh, my goodness, the Cleveland and Golden State are uh, there is a universe between them and the and the number three and number four teams in the league. So, so with that, from that perspective, I gotta say I am right. I can say this now that my bucks are gone as a you have a different feeling as a Spurs fan, but as a, you know, as I've been just dying for great, a great matchup. Right. And so part of me says, okay, we just have to wait another fortnight and we're going to get Epic round three soup. They're both healthy Cleveland and golden state. But, uh, I know that's not where perhaps some of the more interesting storylines are today in these, uh, in, the Boston, Washington and San Antonio Houston series, which, um, I think, are
0: getting interesting, albeit there's a lot of blowouts happening. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I tend to think that the, the, West, the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference Finals are going to be a little bit more competitive and closer than what people may think at this stage. But I also think what we're seeing in the playoffs is a bit of an extension of welcome to the super-team era. And when you've got two teams that sort of form in the way that Cleveland and Golden State have and are so dominant, um, and particularly, you know, I guess there's a question mark on how strong the Eastern Conference is. Would Cleveland be as dominant or a, a look as good in the Western Conference um, as what Golden State have looked? Uh, but I think it is a factor of when you build these two teams, you got four of the best, what, fifteen players in the league on Golden State, um, you know, and, and three really strong players on Cleveland as well as guys like Darren Williams and and Corver that they sort of pick up as the season goes on and they're contributing for them Um, it makes it very very difficult for some of the other teams to compete that haven't been able to make those sort of signings etc so um, I'm not sure if it's great for the league I mean I, I think it's you know you look back when when there was sort of one to two superstars on each team I think that was a probably a better era for the NBA in many ways. But I think we just, I don't necessarily think this is going to be something we're going to consistently see going forward either. I think sort of Golden State stumbled onto this to some extent. And if Steph Curry didn't have the problems with his ankles, etc., early in his career, he wouldn't be on such a team-friendly contract. Maybe they wouldn't have been able to sign Durant, things like that. And, um, and LeBron, well, he's always liked to have uh, other stars with him. Um, which he's got plenty of criticism over over the years, but um, maybe once all the LeBron rides off in the sunset, we're going to need a different um, take on the league, and I think other guys, uh, other stars within the league may not have the same view. Maybe it is something that's going to continue, but I, I certainly hope not. I mean, what are your? I mean, is this better for the league that we've got these two great teams? Who, by the way, you know, you say you're looking forward to them playing the finals. Well. I'm not actually because we've seen 13 games between these two teams over the last two finals, and there literally has not been one good game in basketball. There's been a couple of close games, but no game that I would sit back and go, "Gee, there's an NBA classic game um, that I'd love to go back to." Mm. You. you know, I thought mm. it was very underwhelming, and they just. Uh, you know, game seven was game seven was tight,
1: wasn't it? That was a. It was tight as an No, I mean, I mean it was it was tight and not as a close game. I mean it was tight play and right. It wasn't loose and free and fun. Golden State. They well, felt I go the pressure back to the. Coming.
0: I saw sort of the uh, it to the, the goal, uh, Sorry, the Miami Spurs game seven, which was just chalk and cheese because Miami had to make big shots to win that game. Um, it wasn't a scoreless game for four minutes and thirty five seconds to end the game. Um, it was both teams just trading haymakers. Timmy Duncan <clears throat> missed an easy shot, and that sort of won it again yeah, for yeah. Miami. But it was a great game, great series, and I'll compare that, those two series, and to me, it's just chalk and cheese. So um, I hope the the era of the super team is going to be a short one, to be honest, because it's not something that I've, I've relished. Um, well, I don't think these playoff battles are going to be anything that we're going to be telling our grandkids about. Well, the collective bargaining agreement changes with this
1: um, paying super max for these certain players, right, who reach a certain age, it's going to make it easier, a little bit easier, I think, for teams to throw disproportionate amounts of money at their own stars. So hopefully, you know, touch you with the next, you know, Anthony Davis's next contract and Giannis's next contract and those sorts of guys should theoretically be a bit easier to keep, you know, the stars and therefore reduce the super teams. But again, When Anthony Davis and Giannis will both make make 125 million dollars in the next four years, they're only going to be 26 or 27. But hey, wouldn't it be fun for them to pair up in Milwaukee, starting in
0: 2021? New Orleans is a fun city for Giannis, I think.
1: Well, yeah, but the ownership's probably going to be
0: more fun to get some hedge fund boys up in (laughs) Milwaukee.
1: (laughs) But to answer your question about is it better for the league, the two aspects that sort of jump out to me, which is the um, and both of them kind of relate to fucking rest, right? So what's what's a, what this has shown to us the first couple of weeks of the playoffs is that with all these players resting during the regular season, and now we've seen it yet again. Cleveland has a switch. they can flip. And despite they could play horrible basketball, so they were playing 500 basketball in the Eastern Conference. Right for basically half the season. And yet they can switch it on and absolutely look like literally the best team in the world, as we speak, or a very close second-best team behind Golden State. And so it is bad for the league, unequivocally bad for the league. And Silver, you no doubt, is thinking about, he sees this juxtaposition, everyone sees it. How can we have a league where the best team in one conference with the most popular player in the world – LeBron can play like shit for three months. How, what do we do about that? Is there anything to combat that? And it's just going to play more into the rest than in the resting sort of dialogue. That for me is a big fear, Daz, about effectively what this is proving out to be true, which is, yep, there are teams who can flip the switch. Veteran teams have been together for a few
0: years like this can just turn it off and turn it on. That for me is the is the big concern. I think I more have. more so than turning it off and on too, it is the rest factor within the playoffs. So there's no more back to backs. So you're going to have one to two nights rest. If you sweep a series, you've got a, you know, maybe the best part of a week's rest between games. And for a guy like LeBron with so many miles on him, averaged so many minutes this year, despite the the rest games, um, that's just golden for him. And I think that's been as much a factor because Cleveland did not play well in the first round. Um, They've they've been unstoppable. I mean, I think Golden State would have been the only team to go with them, um, given what they did to the Raptors, and we'll talk about that series shortly. Um, So I think rest and the fact that they got that break and then they're having that sort of day-off, day-or-day-or-two-off between each game um, has been as big a factor as them coming into the playoffs and saying, oh, we want to where's going to turn it on because I think they wanted the one seed. I mean, I think towards the end of that season, I mean, they went in to Boston and absolutely smashed Boston. And we all thought, oh, they've got the one seed wrapped up. Then they went and laid back-to-back eggs in, in Atlanta and we're all sitting there scratching our heads again. Um, so I don't think it was so much that they were coasting in the, in the regular season. I just think the grind of the regular season wore them down a bit. And now they're a bit more refreshed. Um They've got some aging legs, of course, which that that helps. That, well, um, as much as it's a mental thing, where they've gone on oh, there, we we better show some urgency. Yeah, well, I I think they were coasting.
1: I actually I disagree. I think they were coasting. They were giving partial efforts. You can't say they're bringing what they've done the last four days against Toronto. They weren't doing that in February. Right? Oh, I think it's
0: both I mean I, I shouldn't say it's not it's one or the other, I think there's a bit of both there. I think the rest has well, helped and them. I go and yeah, the, the, and the yeah. extra intensity, which is natural in the playoffs, has helped them as well. it um, has you know, yeah so, but the bigger
1: so the other part of that though, so I think there's is this, this is going to be something no doubt silver is watching the other part and you and I hinted at this offline was right, and you started in the open, there's a lot of blowouts, there's twenty point games all over the place mm. And I, I would have thought just the opposite. If their teams are a bit resting and a bit coasting going through the motions in the regular season, that the increased intensity, the refereeing playing a much I don't say the refereeing's aren't deciding it, but teams understand how referees are going to call games many times more loosely, <clears throat> letting physical play happen, and therefore watching teams adapt their play and kind of the game within the game making these games closer and in fact they're getting worse and uh, i don't have an answer but i just wonder i wonder if the why why if san antonio and houston played four supremely close right under under five point games five point differences in the regular season they've played a one 11 point game and three 20 point games right and it's two two uh, part of me just goes why why is Washington blowing out Boston and Boston blowing out Washington? And part of me wonders—is it this part of the the three you know the three-point ball shooting era, which I think you have an interesting point of view on? But is it that far out? We we does a team get down by ten or fifteen points and it's kind of late in the third and then just say ah oh, fuck it? Are we better off saving our energy and not trying to come back
0: and winning the next game?
1: Question mark. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to go,
0: why why so many blowouts? I think it's I both. Don't... I mean, I think it's a number of things. I think, one, there's a, it's a bit of a statistical anomaly um, that there's been so many uh, blowout games. I think they're, they're, to touch on your point, I, and, and we saw it today with the Spurs. I mean, the Spurs were down 14, I think, going in the last quarter, and Pop didn't play Kawhi Leonard didn't play the last quarter at all. Um, he rested his starters pretty much... The, whole, the entire fourth quarter. Now, the Spurs were down 17 going into the fourth quarter of one of the regular season games and actually came back and won behind Kawhi Leonard. So I think there's a there's a good argument to say if he brings Kawhi Leonard back in, maybe they've got another run in them. Who knows, they might still fall eight points short. What does that then do for his, his physical ability to play in the next game? I think... I'm sort of with you on that. I think that's a bit overstated. Um, You know, if if San Antonio did manage to come back and win today, you're up 3-1 the series is basically over. So what's more valuable to you to try and win the game in that point? Uh, And I realise I'm second-guessing pop, which is a bit of, um, you know, a bit sacrilegious in in San Antonio way.
1: This is a theme I'm seeing is that I'm just not seeing fight Uh, And so we asked your question is a great one, which is, is this good or bad for the league about the super teams? I'm sort of asking the question about whether it's super teams or not. Is that playing a part in the way why these teams aren't fighting? Like I'm so radically disappointed in teams like the Clippers and the Raptors in particular. The Clips a bit different because we've, you know, it's a little bit different story. Like it's the end of a six year run. It's just a bit sad, but the Toronto should have been beyond hungry for this, beyond hungry, and they got outfought by Milwaukee. They outtalented Milwaukee and won the series, but they got outfought. Milwaukee imposed their game on them, and similarly, it took Cleveland almost no effort to impose their style of play on Toronto, and they had no, they didn't, forget a chess match, they couldn't even play fucking checkers. And I go, I'm so disappointed that there wasn't a fight Right? I mean, well, I mean, emotional fight and a grind. That's what I'm not seeing. I'm a couple seeing of the
0: things yeah. on that, just on, on the blowouts again, i mean, talk about the three-point shooting just quickly because I think what's happening too, with all the three-pointers that have been taken in the league, um, what you're seeing is teams get into a bit of a hole, say in the third quarter, and then they're like, we're going to shoot our way out of it, and we're going to try and get back nine points in three possessions. And they ch- chuck up a couple of bad threes, all of a sudden, 11 points become 17 because now you've the, the other team's in transition and they're getting an extra easy six points. 17 points is a big hole and then they put the queue in the rack. So that may be another point and I've seen that a couple of times, particularly Boston. They're just a team that want to try and shoot their way out of trouble as soon as they get down there. It worked for them in well, Boston. Houston too, right? Yeah, Houston too. Yeah, and it certainly worked for Boston in games one and two. They've been down double figures all four games of that series, so it worked for them in Boston. It backfired in Washington, so I think that's another factor into why you're seeing these big scores. But to the, let's let's talk a little bit about the Cavs wrapped the series because that was four 0 Comfortable win for the Cavs. Uh, I watched three minutes of this series and I'll tell you what happened. I, I set up the game. You you saw the picture. <laughs> I had the game set up on my big screen at home. I was set up <laughs> with the computer. I was really excited. Go Raps. I really wanted to see what the Raps could do. And three minutes into the game, Kyrie Irving throws an alley-oop off the backboard, which LeBron dunked. I think it was LeBron dunked. Um, and I thought, Oh, my goodness. They did. They have no respect for Toronto. And that was just a message to Toronto, like, you guys have not earned their respect. I know you won two games last year and you, and you thought that was great. We don't respect you as a contender. And that's exactly how they played. Um, and Toronto just didn't respond uh, or couldn't respond or whatever you want to say. And then once, once Cavs got that confidence up, started playing downhill, it, it was over. And I mean I flicked it back and forth a couple of times, but really I, w- I was attentively watching that series for three minutes, and then I was just like this is over and it reminded me of <clears> the Michael Jordan Bulls in the early 90s where they, there was probably only the Knicks that earned their respect and everyone else it was just like we don't respect you, this is going to be over in four to five games at best um, and we're just we're already looking down the track and that, that's how it felt to me um, watching that series. Yeah, it was a bit of Dirk Diggler taking down his pants
1: and everyone standing back in awe. Right. <laughs> that like they, LeBron just unloaded his his manhood and just cock slapped the entire Toronto uh, organization. That so and it was ten to four. You're right about that as it was ten to four. That was the first right five mm. or six possessions of the game. Yeah. And again, that's where I, your one of your early questions, where I, you know me, I've never been a big LeBron fan, but I'm he's gaining my respect. He gained my respect in the obviously the, the finals last year. I don't think I've ever seen a performance like that from a single player. And I, I'm a competitor. I kind of go fuck yeah. That's fucking cool. That's like a that's like stepping into a boxing ring and Tyson just. Obliterating someone's head off, right? So as a competitor, right? In a in a former, you know, <laughs> basketball player in my little tiny domain, I go, what, what an ultimate show. Um, oh, you're right, of disrespect. But I, so that's LeBron. We know he's capable of that. Good on Kyrie for throwing the pass, right? um uh, Because he would have been fucking vilified, right? If that goes over LeBron's head, it goes the other way, and Lowry hits a three. This entire conversation is still about uh, is Kyrie ever going to grow up? Mm. Um, uh, but again, I, as I told you, I watched every minute of Bucks Raptors, and I watched three of the four Cleveland Toronto games. I didn't bother with game four. I knew I knew what was going to happen. I'm, am and this for me is now the probably the biggest story in the league about teams that get eliminated. Is that what's it going to mean for them now? I mean, I saw Dwayne Casey effectively get out coached against Milwaukee. A, a naive green-as-a-grass team with flaws over its offensive roster, in particular Milwaukee. They imposed their style of play on Toronto. It so happens Toronto had better players and shot makers, so they won the series. But I was unimpressed, as I probably told you and hinted at in our, <laughs> in our Erased podcast. I just couldn't believe the lack of fight in Toronto and then bitching at each other when they got punched in the mouth by Milwaukee. And then LeBron goes and does that dunk. I go, really? If I'm, you got a GM like Yusai Majiri, who is a, as respected a GM who will make hard decisions and turn his franchise in a different direction. That's the performance you put out? Mm-hmm. I go, that's the coaching performance. This, you done not, I saw nothing different, nothing unique. They tried, they didn't try, they didn't try anything, Daz. I go, try something, right? Chuck threes or throw Valanchunas in for 39 minutes a game, right? And try something, try a matchup. And I saw just a lack of coaching, which I think doubled down on the lack of confidence, right? The LeBron Dunkathon and then the not sort of trying anything because what they always do doesn't work in the playoffs. And the, the Rosens and Lowry stats have proven that out three years in a row now. They haven't done it. And that didn't. And Sinks into the rest of the team, where I go. If you're
0: if you're now relying on Pat Patterson and Norm Powell to to lift your team up, you're done. You're well, done. I think that's the thing. They just didn't have any options. And and the the criticism I'd make of Dwayne Casey is he just didn't have enough players that are ready to go, um, come playoff time. We spoke about this before, I man. When Kyle Leary goes down, and then you've got to insert Corey Joseph into the starting lineup. Well, then that ruins your bench units so who's going to lead your bench units now and now you're you're leaning on norm powell far more than what they wanted to be um damari carroll only played 44 minutes in the entire series that's a problem i mean there's a guy on on a reasonable contract that they would have expected much more and they they signed him for this series they signed him to play against lebron james uh if he can't be on the court in this series well what what Point is there even him being on the roster? Now his his value's at the lowest level of the B so I can't see how they're going to get rid of him. Uh, I mean, but when PJ Tucker is shooting the ball better from three and giving you much more offensively than what uh, Carroll is, and he's a clearly a better defensive player, um, that was well, it. Sort I, of did I, limit, I think, what cases. I think was you're giving him. him an
1: out because I go, just imagine, just imagine yeah. pop with that roster. You think Pop does that? Trots out the same fucking strategy yeah, every Pop's single got night. Yeah, are
0: the ready to go. This No, is no, no. I'm saying
1: put put Pop in Toronto. I go. How come? Why the heck aren't you having PJ Tucker and Big V and Ibaka and Powell playing 38 minutes a game? Put your warriors in there. Put your muscle. Put your worries in there. I I watched. I stared in his eyes while I watched the television while PJ Tucker was guarding LeBron one on one. He refuses to fucking double him. Look, I know LeBron's an amazing passer, but I'm sorry. P.J. Tucker's a warrior, and he'll battle. But when you let LeBron, possession after possession, you don't give P.J. Tucker any help. I see P.J. Tucker's grinding his ass off, trying to deny him the ball and hold his position, and he can't. Because guess what? LeBron's bigger and stronger. And when I saw P.J.'s shoulders dip and shrug in his eye, P.J. Tucker, right? who you and I lauded, and most of the NBA lauded as a, a shrewd, fantastic right acquisition for just this exact purpose. He wasn't supported. and he let, let, Casey let him just basically get ass-melted by LeBron. That's what LeBron did, is back him down, back him down, boom, shooting with his left hand over him, right, and going through him and getting and wanting, and P.J. Tucker's shoulders just sunk, and his chin went in his chest, and I'm like, when that happens to PJ Tucker, and this was in third quarter of Game Three, when it was still the game was still actually quite close. That's when I that was the equivalent of um, the alley oop, right? The the Kyrie off the glass, of LeBron in Game One. That was the equivalent for me in Game Three. And Casey did it to his own team. He hung PJ Tucker and said, "Hey, you try and stop LeBron," and he couldn't. And the team's just like, "Oh man," they're looking around, going, "Get, get me out of here." So I'm. I'm putting a lot of this on Casey. So fair enough. Damari Carroll's been terrible this season. So
0: you're, fair enough.
1: But he's been terrible for 82 games. So I kind of don't buy the, you know, it's
0: not a roster thing.
1: I I'm just not saying it's a roster
0: know. thing. I'm saying it's a roster preparation thing. So I think, you know, Pop that, Pop has those options, not because he has a better roster. Pop has those options because he uses the eighty-two game regular season to get his roster ready for the playoffs. So he's got it in his mind. Okay, if I'm in game four of Houston, which they are in there, they're heading into game five. Tony Parker's down. Um, you know they've just they've just killed us because James Harden's taken a heap of threes in the game, and he now he's now getting hot from three. What am I going to do? What lineups do I have at my disposal? What what strings can I pull? Out? He well, already well, knows that answer. You and Iron Five, Dwayne fire Casey. Casey yeah, Dwayne Casey oh. doesn't know. He's got, you know, he's eight guys or whatever it might be um, that he's going to go with. He's got guys. Getting, I mean, I'll never understand coaches that go out and consistently across eighty-two <sighs> game seasons have guys on the end of their bench, three, four guys that are getting DNP CDs every night. It's just it's bad coaching. I don't care who, I don't care if it's Tibbs that does it, Ted Tony that does it, who we respect some of the things they do, but that is bad coaching. And this is well, where it comes back and bites you because when you need a plan B, you might not have one. And or C or D, that's, down, a, exactly.
1: that's a great point. Look, now that's, that's perhaps what I saw in the Milwaukee series, and one of the things that we in Boxland criticized Coach Kidd. Right, Jason Kidd for his fucking 12-man rotation some nights, and I'm not joking. He'll play 12 men, you know, nine minutes some nights. He literally will do that. But what we saw, right, in that, you know, pleasantly surprising six-game match is like, holy crap, he's suddenly playing Fawn 25 minutes, and because he has, because he goes, there is a matchup, V can't keep up with him, and he's, you know, taller than Ibaka. Off he go. So that's.
0: Well, and that's the other thing. He knows, or oh, I'm going to bring Spencer Hawes on for seven minutes. And you go, well, what's Spencer Hawes doing out there? Well, he stretches the floor. So that's a different look again for Toronto. And and, and I think what Kid did in that series, he kept Toronto. They, they never got their balance. They were always wondering, well, what's coming next defensively and offensively? And Bang that's on, where I the think. good coaching comes in. Whereas Cleveland knew exactly what Toronto were doing. Every single time down the court, it was generally just ISO plays for DeRozan um, and you know, and, they, and they missed a lot of open threes but they're, they're not a great three-point shooting team anyway. So I think Cleveland could live with those shots um, for a lot of the yeah. time. So that, that's the criticism I'd have with Dwayne Casey. Is, yes, he had a plan A, maybe he had a plan B. He certainly didn't have a plan C, D and E and that's that's what separates good coaching In the playoffs now, some people like Ty Lue. I don't think Ty Lue's a great coach, but just from the roster that he has, he's automatically got those other plans in place. Just from the roster construction, when your roster's not quite constructed as well, I mean, do you think Pop was really planning his season around Dejounte Murray starting games, you know, three, four, five, six, and potentially seven of of the second round of the Western Conference playoffs? I doubt it. But well, he, but you know, he but had you that know in the problem. back of his mind. If I need you know to do what, I can. It. You know, they've worked on. You know, they right.
1: have. They, they scenario plan. You're, so that's right, and that's. So I'm. I'm a bit. I should probably be. I'm angry because I expected more from Toronto. So I, I'm just. I wish I'd gotten more from the from the Raps. So I think you and I both were all season long. I think I was kind of higher on Washington than you were, but I sort of like this is a team who, who theoretically, like on paper, the top eight. Should have been able to compete with Cleveland's top eight. They should have, but they were they were so ill prepared, and that has to come down to Casey. I know Lowry was about seventy percent, and he looked like donuts. Lowry he looked like he'd put on about ten pounds with the recent. He wasn't the same, so I, I do give
0: him a bit of a break. But um, oh, they just I couldn't think- recover. For, they needed Lowry at hundred percent. They needed him 100%. He not, and then yeah. when he went down, that was just a blow that they were never, ever going to recover. No, by. no, they um, weren't. That's right. But quickly on the Cavs, I mean, you've got to give a hell of a lot of credit, though. I mean, I, I don't know. We're, we're sitting here bashing the wraps a bit, but I, I don't know who would have competed with the Cavs when they're making shots the way they are making shots. And Kyrie Irving, who we, we've sort of criticised here and there on this podcast as well, um, he shot the ball very poorly. In this series, uh, he only I, shot. 30. I thought he'd go
1: for thirty a game. I yeah. thought he
0: was going to light them up. So
1: he scored twenty two
0: points. He only shot thirty eight percent. But this is what impressed me: eight point five assists a game and only seven turnovers the entire series. So, great players if they're not shooting. And I and I was the first to say this about Kyrie Irving: if he's not hitting shots. He's not contributing. Well, I've got to take that back now because he's a guy that wasn't hitting shots in this series and he's found a way to contribute um, with through assists and, and obviously only seven turnovers for a point guard, albeit, you know, obviously he shares the load with LeBron and Darren Williams quite a bit now. But still, very, very impressive stats um, for him given that he didn't shoot the ball well across the series. And LeBron, there's not much you can say 48% from three, 36 points a game, no, eight yeah. rebounds, five assists. I mean, I, I don't know even know what – you run out of the superlatives. I was ready to anoint Kawhi as the best player in the NBR. No, Pop did in round one, but I think we can take that back. Uh, LeBron, still the king uh, at, yeah. at present until further notice uh, because – And Kyrie, just, just looking the at Raps.
1: the stat line, Kyrie was great today. Look, he didn't – he was only 10 for 24. All right, so not a great percentage, but still scored twenty seven and nine to one ratio. Nine assists, one turnover. So and yep. four steals. So he was active enough on D. And that's right, that efficient sort of distribution and hitting the hitting the shooters, right? Corver and Fry, they were draining threes today, right? So um oh,
0: Corver and- Corver hit one. I mean, this is where you feel for Toronto because Corver puts the ball <laughs> on the floor and you think, okay, he's <laughs> dribbling there. This is what we want. He hit a step back three in, I don't know whose butch player's face it was, it might have been Norm Powell, but um, just hit it in his face and you're just like, look, if they're going to be hitting shots like that, honestly, you, you may as well pack up and go home. Because, and I think a lot of that series, Dwayne Casey in his defence would have been sitting there going, you've got to pick your poison with the Cavs. So if, if LeBron's going to be taking these ridiculous long threes at, towards the end of the shot clock, uh, you say, well, we'll live with that. And he was just hitting him. So well, it's also hard
1: when the, the best player in the world, who's not a very good three-point shooter, LeBron's decided. You know what? I'm gonna shoot 47% from three this series, and, and he did. So I go, you're right. When Corver's shooting 30-footer step back off the dribble, and LeBron's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go five for 12 today." You
0: know, and he was so, hitting his through throws again. So you know, um, yeah, just just a crazy. You're right.
1: He is He's eight serious. for nine today fifteen for sixteen the other day, I think it was, or sixteen for seventeen, something like that. So uh so, yeah so so Toronto is gonna have right um Zach Lowe wrote a great piece about it. We've been talking, hinting at it for a while. I think Lowry's cost himself a bunch of money. Hmm. Um we'll see what happens with him. I if I'm Masai and I'm a tough GM, I'm thinking twice and three times and four times about do I sign a thirty one year old guy to a 200 million dollar deal and lock this team do i lock this team in who is a universe away from cleveland boy that's going to be a hard decision and if i'm pj tucker and i got hung out to dry like that why would i come back so they might not afford him anyway he's going to get a nice little contract but yeah there's going to be massive changes in toronto if i if he's not i don't know what his relationship's like but
0: if Casey's not on the hot seat, he should be. That cool. was embarrassing. The other thing to remember about Kyle Larry, they did not fall off the cliff when Kyle Larry went out at the end of the season. They were 15-6 and six in 21 games. So, now, I'm not, now obviously, they're, they're not going to be a contender. They're not a contender if he does come back. But I don't think it's going to hurt their winless record as much as people may think if they allow Kyle Larry to go. Um, and they might just say, look, we'll keep DeRozan we we'll you know, bring the rest of the call back. Maybe, you know, Abarca doesn't re-sign. BJ Tucker doesn't resign, Kyle Lowry doesn't re-sign. Then let's see where, where we can go with this team uh. from here. Obviously, I think they can still be a playoff team, I guess, even if he lets Kyle Lowry walk. Um, and you build the team more around DeRozan for a little bit you know, see if you can make some other moves wow. either in free agency uh, or through trades or whatever it might be. I mean, the jury is probably the, the master at doing that. And I think the other thing I'd say about him, this is not a guy that gets too attached to players. He, he's not... And that's the best GMs. They don't sit there and then have their favourite players. We can't let these guys go and, and they're popular in the city and make all those sort of... He's going to make the call that's best for the team. And I, I'd be... Pretty surprised at this stage if Cole Lowry comes back. But maybe they look at it and say, you know what, he wasn't 100%. If he's 100%, we think we could have pushed Cleveland a little bit more than this. We're probably not going to beat them. But maybe Cleveland take a step back next year um, and we finally see some slowdown in LeBron. Maybe we get a bit of injury luck. Maybe we're still the second-best team in the Eastern Conference. Look, who knows? Tough decisions, I think, ahead. Uh, for the Toronto Raptors, yeah, I'd
1: worry about DeRozan as a team, a guy that can carry you in the playoffs, right? He's got the the anti modern game, you know, with his impossible mid range shot making sort of stuff, which is a bit easier to defend, right? You throw two guys at him, and he's not. Their system isn't set up for it, and or he's not a skilled distributor, anticipator of defensive schemes, and that when the pressure comes at him, you know. So I go, ah. Oh, He's locked in for the long term, but I,
0: I'm worried about them as a... Oh, look, I think they could a be the a su- recipe for success, but they, they, could, they could still make the playoffs without Lowry there next year, would be my point.
1: Well, I'm just saying they could be... Yeah, I've been thinking they they just could be on a an Atlanta Hawks trajectory back to, you know, 45 wins in a first-round exit, you know, if DeRozan's not paired with, a, you know, their 20-point-a-game sort of score like a Lowry just because, the, you know, his game does not translate to being the alpha dog in a playoff team
0: well, I think until that...
1: he develops a shot like Kawhi Leonard, which mm. he just isn't going to do mm. off the bounce. He's just not. There's no way.
0: Well, the other so... thing about Larry is I, I, he's not a player I can see aging gracefully in the NBA. Uh, he doesn't have a hard, he, he's not a hard worker off the court. We know that. Um, we saw that from the injury after he had this year. So. This is not a guy that you're going to say, well, you know, he's he's still going to be a, a top performer at 33, no. 34. So, um, buyer beware. I think whoever gives him a big contract because you might get one to two good seasons out of him, but it, I think he's already on the downward trajectory of his career. He cost um, himself some money, I reckon, this playoffs. Yeah. Well, yeah. look, and you say he shouldn't right. have. Come so back, he as you up, say it was let's a hand injury.
1: Yeah, rest, man.
0: Do some fucking sit-ups, man. <laughs> yeah, so let's, let's put, put a it, fork in that let's one. Let's put a fork
1: in them. Yep, they're push. done.
0: Well, another team that's all but done, but has has acquitted themselves a, a, a hell of a lot better in my view, is the Utah Jazz. Um, they're down 3-0. You anticipate it's probably going to be a sweep uh, tomorrow against Golden State. But uh, these have been reasonably competitive games. It's sort of gone pretty much the way that we both thought it would, looking back to last week, that uh, Utah just offensively would not have enough points in them um, to beat Golden State. But defensively, they'd probably be able to slow Golden State down a little bit. And they have. I mean, Golden State, one game 106, another game 102. They only really had the one game where they've probably played to their potential offensively. They scored 115 in game two they haven't shot the ball. All that well, they've only shot 33% from three, which for them is way down on what you'd expect. Is it that low? <laughs> it wow. is that low. So uh, as a team, so they, now, like there's, there has been a bit of garbage time within that. I mean, Iguodala has shot terrible from three. He's only got two of 12 across the series. And Ian Clark's probably played more minutes than maybe what they would have expected. He hasn't shot the ball well either. So it's a little bit down. That's a little bit of a skewed figure. But overall, as I said, Utah will probably be happy with their defence, but offensively, they just haven't been able to score the basketball uh, to stick with Golden State, which is pretty much how most people, including myself, saw this series going. But I still feel like, overall, for the Jazz, um, positive signs. I mean, I I I I don't think anyone expected they were going to push Golden State this year, but I still feel like, you know, with, with a little bit of luck, with maybe a, a player, you know, a Dante Exum really does start to develop the way that they want him to. Um, this is a team that in two and three years might be ready to compete uh, at the top end of the West Conference.
1: Look, George Hill going out was a, I mean, I just wish, and here we are, I know it's a war of attrition in the playoffs. I just sort of find myself wishing teams like this would go, be able to go at full strength so they could actually measure themselves so that was my disappointment when you got, you know, whatever, S. Mac,
0: right? Well, and the thing this about George guy, Hill, just dude. quickly, George yeah. Hill's one of the – there's probably only – I don't know how many players you'd say in the league that are a matchup problem for Golden State. And I think – I feel like George Hill's one of those guys, not that they'll be losing in his sleep while we're going against George Hill, but what they love to do is – against the opposition's point guard, they love to take him down the post, particularly when Livingston's out there and other guys, they'll create that mismatch and take him down low. Well, you can't do that with George Hill. So straight away, it's a little bit of a problem. And he's had good scoring games against them um, in the past as well. So yeah. um, it, it was a real I... disappointment for, for <clears throat> Utah for him to go down in game one.
1: So I think they've been, I mean, that was horrible, but I, I... Uh, I'm a little bit less harsh on the Jazz. Yeah, we sort of knew they wouldn't have the offense, but what I've been, I guess, the bits I've seen, it looks like it's Golden State's defense more than it is Utah's, you know, lack of, you know, lack of depth or lack of talent. You know, just Golden oh. State is just fucking locked in, right? They're 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 still not. <laughs> let's be honest, they're not playing at a hundred percent, but they're when they lock in, if the game gets close, they can just flip a switch. Suddenly they'll go. Eight points in 45 seconds, create three turnovers, you know, have three easy buckets, and suddenly, a, you know, a four point game is a 12 point
0: game, literally in 40 seconds. Yeah. So, I, that, right. Well, I people dream think on. of Golden State as oh, this great Draymond. offensive drug, juggernaut, but they are a defense first team. Oh. You know, and, and that's what they sort of lost on. With a little Steph bit. Curry
1: and Kevin Durant. I know,
0: that's where you go. Oh, yeah, exactly. How does any. So, how do you, how Draymond, are you supposed to beat them?
1: Draymond Green, ten rebounds, right, five assists, no turnovers, and amazing defense. They like, go, oh god, he's their fourth best player. Mm-hmm. Right, anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. and I don't know. So I felt, I felt a little bad. I kind of was. I, I wanted Utah to have a little one of those, just a nice moment for their fans. But you know, Jay, you know, Joe Johnson couldn't throw it in the ocean, and fucking Rodney Hood. Oh, is I think you and I've talked about him a lot where he's just he looks like an NBA player but must have the head I don't know he and Michael Carter Williams must go to the same shrink or something <laughs> it just never deliver so poor Joe Johnson and Rodney Hood combined to go four for 20 today um or sorry the other day couldn't win game three so yeah yeah um, look probably not lots belabor, Golden State's firing on all cylinders. Utah has proven, I think, to to themselves and to the league that they're, God, if they could keep this team together and add a piece, you know, a couple of pieces, they'd be a, you know, they could push for a three or a two seed, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So big questions coming, obviously, with with Hayward in the offseason. But it's a team you want to pull for. They play the right way. They play a lot of clean games. You have nice sets. They've got a... You know, wonderfully balanced sort of starting five, but you know, it just—it's going to be hard for them to attract. You know, I guess a scorer. Well, it's probably
0: what they need. They need some scoring. Here's what they need. I mean, Dante Exum's. They still need Carmelo. Tw- well, <laughs> Dante Exum's still only 21, so I guess the, the the question mark there is how much more development he has he got in him. Can they finally get a healthy season out of Derek Favors, or is he just? This is what he's going to be, just always injured. Maybe shows one game where like, he's against the Clippers where you go, wow, that's what the guy can play like and then uh, before you know he's injured again um, or or at least looking like it. And Gaber, of course, is only 24 as well. So assuming they bring Gordon Hayward back, I think Hayward will come back.
1: You think he's back? I think he's back.
0: I think he's back. I know... um, the Celtics obviously making noises about it, but I, I'm not even sure how much sense it makes for the Celtics um, to go after him at this stage. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I mean, we know why their fans are, are, are clamoring for him, but we won't go down that that path. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, so I think the future looks good, for, but pretend depending on how those young guys develop, and obviously Rodney Hood. Uh, there, there would have been higher hopes for his development than what we've seen from him. So um, let's see how they go tonight. Rodney Hood's <laughs> going in my he's going in my Noah Vonley you know, pile of impressive-looking physical
1: specimens who just don't, for whatever reason, can't put it together. He's you know, well, he's twenty five done with
0: three yeah. uh, for the series. So that's obviously. Uh, <laughs> I don't think. Quince I think neither. it's up. It's up from the first first round. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, the one area I think Utah would be disappointed, they've been out-rebounded in the series um, by about four rebounds a game. So that's one area they Mm. would have said, we have to win on on the boards. Um, Now, whether that comes down to there's been some long rebounds because Golden State haven't been shooting well from three or not, I don't know. You'd have to have a look at that. And and as they said uh, in the Houston series, I mean, it is a skill for these teams to shoot a lot of threes, the long rebound and knowing where to go for the long rebound because obviously it's not a a normal rebounding battle um, where the big guys can be taken out of it from that point of view as well. So whether that's played a part play or not, I don't know. But that, that's probably the one thing I think Quinn Snyder, when he looks back on this series, will be a little bit disappointed by. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Just, so, just
1: today's game, or sorry, today's <laughs> game three, mm. Utah had five offensive rebounds. And Golden State had forty three defensive rebounds. Five out of forty eight rebounds
0: well, they, on yeah. their end. So that's not that's not long, terrible, That's not good. Right.
1: Yeah. No. And it's um so Rudy Rudy needed some help, so um they needed a they needed favors, I think, to do something special. We all sort of thought, you know, I think the when I say we, you know, the the pundits, which yeah. of course we we're pundits. <laughs> <laughs> They had it theoretically if they could go big, right? Like you said with George Hill, you know, sort of playing like the, you know, um, uh, like a the Livingston sort of role, right? Like a, a supreme version of Livingston posting everyone up with a if Favors is is pounding and go is hundred percent, and then Hayward's shots from everywhere. I go, that's an interesting, interesting matchup. But uh, yeah, they don't have all the all the bullets in their gun. And, um no futures
0: bright for them Favors of minutes have been down but I think with go bear they knew him to have a white side type series where he's getting 2020 20, you know uh and at the moment yeah. he, he was yeah. at 16 and 13 probably not um 100 percent still so but but well, they got more development it got, got
1: over overemphasized right
0: you know when when
1: Steph does his jiggery pokery inside outs de do roundabout and poor you know, Gobert been switched onto in the PNR, and he gets spun around, and Steph goes in for a layup. That got a bit, you know, obviously a bit overhyped, but but that was a case in point, right? When this is just what Golden State does, which is what Houston, when they're playing well, what they do pulling out LaMarcus Aldridge and Paul Gasol, they're like standing 27 feet from the basket, staring James Harden in the eye. I guess he's going to win that battle. that's what's been happening all series, right? Golden State's execution is just way too superior. You know, they just, they need five Rudy Gobert's and three Giannis's and, you know, and throw in a couple Kawhi's, I think, to defend this sort of team in the way they can just move their pieces around in the offensive end. So Hmm. I still think Golden State's playing at 70% pace. They're not even, Cleveland's more locked in and playing at a,
0: closer to their 100% effort than than Golden State is, which is terrifying. But um, anyway... I I want to see Golden State pushed at least in one game. And that's maybe Houston are the best chance of doing that where Houston just have one of them games where they come out and hit 23s and you go, all right, now Golden State, they're going to have to do something. Um, Golden State are going to have to win four in a row, and they probably would. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think the Spurs across the series would make Golden State play at a higher level to win the series, but I think there's going to be a game within the Houston, a Houston series where Golden State's going to have to bring 100% um, to, to make sure it's a sweep, potentially. So that that's, I think, where that, that sort of thing differs. Um, well, it hurts me to say it, but I think that's, you know, I, I'm going to
1: have to sort of said offline to you as I'm. I know D'Antoni. I'm a huge Dan D'Antoni. Obviously, I'm, you know, massive Steve Nash crush my entire life uh, in that sort of style of play. But I've been, I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm still disappointed about the, uh, again, some, similarly Tom disappointed with 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 Casey. That I haven't seen anything new. I haven't seen any defensive intensity. Again, I don't expect them to have Giannis and Kawhi's playing defense, but. I just haven't seen them dial in and I know that their their energy comes from when they make some threes it gives them the confidence and they you know there's kind of they peacock all around the court when the shots go in and they can set themselves on D they're so much better than when they don't make shots and they're having to be on their heels and doing recovering basketball and they're closing out and switching they're terrible team defensively but I just was hoping for more just a little more focus a little again a little more fight can't you elbow someone or fight? And you know, can't Beverly and Ariza, you know, sort of wear off on guys? And so, um, sort of, I guess my point about is just back to the coaching. And to if you're saying San Antonio has the best shot against Golden State, uh, I thought Houston did. That's why I put my <laughs> my little my little bet on them, my one in eighteen bet. But uh, I'm now sort of going to tuck my tail between my legs and say there's Again, there's a universe of coaching talent between Pop and Dan Tony.
0: where I think just from coaching strategy alone, Pop's, Pop would find ways to at least well, get under Golden State's skin. Pop's got more plans. I mean, we'll, we'll go to that series now, actually, because he's got San that, yeah. Antonio 2-2, two, two, and, and Pop's already made a, a number of uh, adjustments. Um, to Dan Tony's credit, I think he, his adjustments okay. will come always at the offensive end. I mean, they say to him, what do your team need sure. to do better? Well, we need to make shots. Uh, that's all he ever says. He, he's not worried about the defensive end of the game. No, he's not. We've, we've spoke about that multiple times. But to his credit, he made the, the the adjustment he made today from what I've seen in the game, I didn't watch the game live, but I've seen the, the sort of condensed version afterwards, was I think he was annoyed at James Harden's game in Game 3. Uh, Harden was looking for fouls, was... So the looking for contact, I guess, is probably a better way of putting it. And you know, when he when he's going in for laps and he's looking for contact first, worrying about hitting the shot second, and when you're not getting those calls and the Spurs have made a real point of not uh, fouling him or keep, uh, keeping the fouls to a minimum, um, it's and it's all about, particularly in the D'Antoni offense, it's about taking what the defense gives you and I think that's what Harden did today it was like okay they're not going to found me I'm not going to get contact but that also means I'm going to be shooting open shots and they shot 52 open shots today so the ball movement was back uh, and and their defense for what it is comes from their offense okay so when they're making shots Spurs are getting the ball out of the back of the basket and then to your point much easier to defend in the half court when the Spurs are taking the ball out from their their own baseline. Uh, And I saw that. I mean in game one the Spurs scored 99 uh, and in game four today they scored 104 which is about what they scored in game three. But it was much more of a slog it felt like today for, for San Antonio on the offensive end. So I think that's where Houston if if their offensive game is on, they don't need to worry about defence. But when their offensive game isn't on, they've got they haven't got a plan B in terms of okay, we'll do and that's where Golden State are so superior because Golden State can have a poor offensive game and still beat even the team like yes. the Spurs. Yeah. Houston can't. If Houston have a bad offensive game, they will lose and they will lose ten times out of ten. And that is on Dantoni. And that's why the guy, to my view, has never and we'll never win an NBA championship because you, you can't just have one side to your game. Um, as great an offensive coach as he is, that has always been the Achilles heel of his game. Um, and I think I actually think it'll come back and bite them again this series. I think this series will be over in six. I'm, I'm still not 100% certain it's going to be the Spurs that, that are the team that take it out. <laughs> You
1: just uh, know someone's going to win the next two. Huh? Someone's
0: going to win the next two. I think whoever wins game five, game six will, will, closes out, will and close okay. it out. Because if, if Houston come into San Antonio again, they'll have their mojo back. They'll have the confidence. Uh, vice versa, if Spurs are able to pull game five out at home, I think the pressure will be too much on Houston. And what I'm seeing too from Houston is, a number of guys that just haven't been in this bigger spot before. And I think one of the interesting things about this series is a little bit of a case study is that, OK, who do you want to rely on in in uh, in tight spots? OK, now the Spurs have got a lot of veterans. Like They've got Pau Gasol is going to be a Hall of Famer. David Lee's a championship winner and he was a a key part in the end in that championship run for Golden He Made a real difference in that finals when he came in. So he's battle-tested. Obviously, some of the bets like Ginobili and, and Paddy Mills has been there a number of years. Then you throw in a rookie like Murray. Well, rookies generally don't... you know, th- th- Maybe Murray thinks this is... They don't realise, I guess, how big it is. Um, and then you've got a guy like Jonathan Simmons who paid $50 for a D-league tryout a couple of years ago. And has played multiple games in his career where if you have a bad game, you might be looking for a new career the next day. Now, that's pressure. The playoffs (laughs) is not pressure in comparison to that. So, here's a guy that comes out. He was a top scorer for the Spurs today. Actually had a plus two in the plus minus, which in a game they lost by 21. He played 20 plus minutes and was plus two. So, there's me going on again about plus minus. But... I think that, that sort of showed that he did have actually a positive impact on the game. It wasn't just empty stats that he was putting up. Um, and this guy just gives zero fucks. Like, he just does not care <laughs> about the fact that it's the playoffs. I love that. Right? And then, yeah. but then you look on the other side and you've got Eric Gordon. Well, Eric Gordon's been in the league a number of years, has never played in the big game. Right? Ryan Anderson's been in the league for a lot of years, has never played in the big game. Lou Williams has never played in the big game, right? Yeah, these are guys that it's it's going to be bigger for them because they know how hard it is to get to the round two, and they're thinking this is pressure for me because this is a spot that this is the biggest spot I've been in my career. So that's where I've and I've always had this worry about Houston: are they going to be able to make the shots, the big shots, when it counts, when you are game five? the clock's ticking down and they've been involved in two close games going into the fourth quarter and they've laid two gigantic eggs in those fourth quarters in games two and three. And it was guys like Jonathan Simmons coming out. I mean, w- what Simmons did to to Harden in game three, <clears throat> sorry, in game two when he came out uh, and played after Tony Parker went down it was, was embarrassing um, for, in terms of just the defensive or lack of defensive intensity from, from Harden, but also um, on the other end, he was able to defend James Harden really well. And of course, Harden, in his defence, had no had no support from his teammates, particularly in game two when Harden really did struggle. But Harden also, um, I sort of joked around that he had a fake cough going after game two, but it was legitimate. He did have a pretty bad cold um, that he's only just getting over, and he did look... Much better today, um, from what I saw, than what he did in games two and three of the games that Houston lost. So maybe there's something to that, and we're going to see better play from James Harden um, going forward, which obviously is what Houston need in this series. Well, and he wasn't playing a huge, as huge a role as he happened to against OKC, but
1: Nene pulled a groin early in the game, mm. which is a you know as again this war of attrition goes on. Sort of down their one of their only interior bodies. So I think for me the beginning of this series was we kind of knew who Houston was. I was like I said, hoping for a little more, even 10% more defensive intensity from a D'Antoni team. But this was going to come down to a, you know, could LaMarcus, sorry, could LaMarcus, could Kawhi get a number two scorer? And I thought that would have to come from, you know, the, the the Spurs pounding the interior. So. I wonder now with Nene, we don't know. But if he's out for game five, is it even more of an opportunity for, a, you know, for Power, or
0: Dedmer, LMA to just yeah, kind of punish them in the paint a bit? Is there but a flip can... side to that coin where Nene going as a silver lining because Sam Decker comes in and comes out and hits four threes? uh in game five because there's I can see that playing out. there's another athlete there's a guy there's athlete, maybe yeah. he's a better player for this series than what nene is nene hasn't Nena had a really good game one but he hasn't done a heck of a lot since then he hasn't he's and hasn't. d'antoni's another one of these guys he's got his eight man rotation and he sticks to that eight man rotation come hell or high water well now he's been forced to he's going to be forced to give sam decker some minutes Decker's 22. He's one of these guys that he he's not gonna. I don't think the moment's gonna be too big for him. Um, it would not at all. No, he played me. national
1: title games. Yeah, he's yeah. You know, he had some good games. Obviously, I know him well. So this this why this is the most interesting series by far, and we'll talk about what seems to be the quote unquote best series. But I find this chess match actually the most interesting chess match of all the obviously, all the second-round series.
0: Well, it is, and it's now Pop's turn because Pop, uh, it's of, his the turn. way he, he defended hard and worked in games two and three didn't work today. So do they stick with it? And it's really about um, what they did to Steve Nash and what they used to do with Nash is they try and turn Nash into a scorer rather than a distributor, right? Now, there's a little bit... It's actually probably a mixture of what they did to LeBron in 2013 and what they did to Nash you know, going back to the sort of yeah. mid-2000s. But the problem with that theory is Harden can be a scorer. So he, you know, he and he has more of a scorer's mentality than Steve Nash does. Um, and the, where, where well, else? and he's also six 6'7", six, six, isn't he? That's six, right. Or where where he Lebron... can make these passes before the doubles come, yeah. And the LeBron yeah. tactic was basically don't get up in LeBron's grill. Play off him a little bit and turn him into a jump shooter. Well, they're doing a little bit of that yeah. with James Harden as well. But again, Harden can make those shots. So, But I think Pop's sort of thinking back to game three and like, OK, James Harden scored 43 points. They'll ha- they'll take James Harden scoring 43 points, so long as he doesn't have the 12 assists that go with it. And today, yes. get, he, what would he get today? It was 20, in the 20s today... Super efficient 28 and 12. 28 and 12 today with only what four turnovers, so that's and only
1: and only six free throws. That's the other thing where he was like he was six for seven inside the arc. So just these layups where the he's so brilliant in pick and roll, where the three of the four three
0: pointers he made were over two over Lamarcus and one over Powell, right? Well, it was also drive and kick, so it was drive, take the layup if it's there. And the Spurs aren't going to foul you, so I understand you're not going to get that get call even if you create the contact. The refs aren't calling it because Spurs are going straight up and down. So you can get the layups there. But also, I've never seen a player that knows where everyone is on the court. With our, and that, that comes down to Tony's coaching on the offensive end as well and the discipline that they have on that end. And if they could bring a fraction of that discipline to the defensive end, who knows know. what they could do. That's what's the frustrating thing about this team. Um, but... You know, he, he just There was a pass there where, honestly, he, the, the speed at which he threw the pass and it went directly behind him to Eric Gordon who was wide open and you just think, it's like a magic trick. <laughs> he like, rifles it. He, he fucking rifles it, doesn't he? It's yeah. the speed of the passes, yeah. It's not even yeah. the fact that he knows that guy's there. Like, I know where guys are sometimes on basketball court, but, I, you know, I'm passing it so slow that, you know, the, the center can sort of wander over from the basket and usually grab it. But he's just giving it from, with, with zip. And it's just like, how is he doing And it? I know fully the hyperbole with which
1: this must sound. and But I think my credentials as a, a Steve Nash lover would attest to it. Harden's mastery of this offense is greater than Nash's. He... His anticipation actually is a little better, I believe it or not, because Nash was just such a beautiful mid range shooter. Nash would grind in and grind out, and he'd work these the pick and rolls. He could flip to the sides, and then he'd drill a 17 footer and hit nothing but net. But it was a grinding out kind of a constant testing. It. Harden sees it, makes one decision, and that's it. And 90% of the time, it's a perfect decision. And that's what I'm, I'm just so pleased. I'm like, hallelujah. I'm gonna just capture this moment. I'm glad it's being recorded, where you actually complimented James Harden. So I, I I tip my hat to you, my friend, because your team is in a, in a tough fight, right? In a weird fight. Not even. It's just a weird fight, isn't it? Just this quizzical style of play. But when he's on, it's fucking beautiful. Just the way that ball flies around. It is.
0: It was beautiful. Well, what but, wasn't um, beautiful with him was, was the fact that in game three, in a pretty close <laughs> game, he consistently, well, at least two occasions that I saw, and this is where D'Antoni was really pulling his hair out, I think, just uh, bitching to the referees and not getting back on oh, defence. Didn't yeah. even get back past halfway and gave up, I think it was five points in the game. And in that stage was a close game. So they're the things it's he's the biggest... got to get out of his game. But to his credit, yeah. he did it today. Um and you talked about, but one of the things that frustrates me just to go back to something you just mentioned before, the Gobert Steph Curry thing and all the hyperbole around that. Um, that nothing annoys me more in the of basketball today than those sort of things because Gobert was trying to play defense on that play, like he was trying his ass off. Okay, Steph Curry beat him and and scored the basket. No, right? what would James Harden have done there? He wouldn't. Have, he wouldn't have played But who gives it? he would have been just standing. And long would going, done, he would right, have done I'm not what poor Lamarcus
1: does when Lamarcus is out there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm not going to get clowned. No, that's a, that's a great call. Out. That's a great call. I will never, ever insult Rudy because Rudy was down in the stance, right? He was trying to close out and get down and make, make something happen.
0: Yeah. So mm-hmm. fair so, call. No, and on, on Marcus yeah. Aldridge, uh, he has been frustrating to a lot of Spurs fans. Um, another a weird game I mean, he didn't didn't play many minutes I and mean, we pop put the put the cue in the rack pretty early in this one. Um yeah. but his first two games of the series obviously were terrible. His game three was I mean it was okay, but they force fed him a lot too. So um twenty six points. Look eight rebounds, I think it was on the night. Um he's still gotta be more dominant though than what he's been. I mean that's that's to well, I was,
1: I, I as you know, I wanted to put him on the, in the, in the Donuts Lowry, fat lazy idiot hundred million dollar contract pile, and then that's where I go. This is why Pop is the, the best coach in the world, and I'm sitting here doing this, Or I wanted to, you know, basically put LMA through the wood chipper. What's Pop do? I said nope, we're going to feed him. We're going to get him. We've got to get him going, and he did. And Marcus, to his credit, in Game Three, when the whole world, right was writing about and the ringer was writing about and we're all talking about like how on earth is this guy cashing his paycheck this month. Uh, It was an embarrassment, especially in that game one thing. So get to their credit. um, Pop just has the confidence in the, in the, the balls, right. To say, fuck it. I'm riding my guy. Mm. I'm going to feed him and get him hot. So to their credit,
0: right. That was, (laughs) that's a fucking important game. He was a huge factor in game three. Oh, he had four blocks as well. So he he had a great game in game four. His Um, confidence was back, right? So good on him and Pop for doing that. I don't think he was quite as good offensively as people wanted to say. I mean, a lot of those were just really nice passes inside and little layups. I mean, a couple of times he had Harden on him. inside. What he did with Harden, and Harden is actually a sneaky good defender in the post when people try and post (laughs) him up. Oh, you God. watch him. Two comp- two you, watch, of- you watch James Harden about- <laughs> because he doesn't have anyone to hide. He can't. He can't. He has to try and do something, or he's going to be embarrassed. So yeah. um, he actually. But what what the Spurs have been doing is not even posting him up. They just go straight under the basket, and by going straight under the basket, yeah. you end up obviously Harden does his then his usual poor defense. And, and you get an easy layup, so that's what they did there. The the interesting thing, I think, and we've already mentioned Jonathan Simmons, but he's probably the, the Spurs' third best player now. He's all of, all of a sudden become a really important player in this series, in part because Tony Parker went down, and um, very sad to see from a Spurs fan point of view. Just to quickly wrap up before I get your sort of prediction on how this series uh, may end, I think we. have It feels like we've seen the little renaissance we saw from TP to start the playoffs. That might be the the final hurrah for Tony Parker, which would be really sad because um, I always remember just how good a player he was, uh, particularly in 2013-14 when he really was the Spurs' best player before Kawhi took over the team. And I remember when, when the Spurs would play the Clippers or play OKC, Tony Parker would just raise his game to the next level. And you go and check out the stats that Chris Paul had against Tony Parker, particularly win-loss stats over that time, and Tony Parker owned him for a couple of years. Um, A guy who, you know, clearly across his career, Chris Paul's been the better player, but there was that period where Tony Parker was, in my opinion at least, the best point guard in the NBA. And I think he was fifth in MVP voting in 2013. Clearly the best player on that Spurs team that pushed Miami so close in 2013 and and I think would have been favourite for being Files MVP had they have closed that one out. So, uh, sad to see a great player go down, but it's been a great career for Tampa. I'm sure he'll still come back next year and he'll probably have some moments again, but there's no doubt the best is behind him and it was sad to see, given the little renaissance that he had during this playoffs. Him to go down with a knee injury And it may end up being at the straw that breaks the camel's back It's going to be difficult for the Spurs You know, Murray's come on and and done okay In the spot minutes we spoke about before Pops sort the of plan B with DeJounte Murray And I know that they're, they're happy with his development um, overall But obviously a big blow for the Spurs in this series And one that's going to be interesting to see If they can overcome uh, in games uh, five, six, and seven. How do you see this series, Galman? Do you have a definitive prediction for us?
1: I do, I uh, very clearly. Um, so just on Tony Parker, though, is I, I, um, I'm not going to write any obit on him. Uh, I think he's just been – he's so plugged into it. He's such a mature player. And it's probably more of an impact on fans, right, which I think hmm. – Tony's been through and seen everything where I think he's, you know, he knows the game, he knows his body, he knows his team. I don't think he's going to be, you know, he's not sitting on the sidelines crying or lamenting, right? He's had an amazing run. He's like, yeah, fuck, I got hurt. So I think he's um, in the moment on these games, he's there, right? And he's present with his team. I don't think there's a lot of lamentation, right? There's not a lot of, you know, this isn't LeBron getting hurt or stuff, ripping an ankle apart right where this team is filled with dread um or uh, like if a Giannis got injured where this uh this grand even you know, this grand opportunity is ripped from you so I think Tony probably has the perspective of fuck I got hurt wish I could help my team and I think yeah he's going to come back right he's, he'll be back next year oh well, he'll so, be back
0: next year no doubt yeah no, yeah no doubt. so I'm yeah there's sad, a guy because it was week. nice to,
1: it was nice to see him rebound but I think um
0: I don't have a well, we talked about on-off switches yeah. before. I think Tony Parker was certainly a guy that flicked the switch on come the play And good on him. He was, he yeah. was, a, he was a certainly different player. Uh, but yeah. prediction for the series, for the... How, how do you see this one going there?
1: Yeah, so my, I've, I've very clearly um, – look, I have no fucking idea.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'd...
1: No, I don't. I, have, I, I don't. I have no idea because I'm now ha- having wished for and not gotten 10% – increased intensity on the defensive end other than Patrick Beverly who I fucking love mm. how far, tell me how you'd love to have him on your team right oh, anyway, well, that, that, anyway that guy guy's just a warrior love him yeah. um no clue I what I think I literally have no clue my gut tells me Houston's gonna go ape shit in one of the next two games they're gonna make 22 more threes in one of the next two but not both and so therefore by default, It's going to go to game seven, and then I have no clue if they're going to make 22 on a game seven. So I think one of the next two games, they go hot. One of the next two games, they don't. They're going to split the next two, and it's going to go seven, and I have no
0: clue. Yeah, I I I, think I like the Spurs in the game seven, but as I said, I I think this is going to be over in six. Um, And I, I had no feel for these teams a week ago. And I've got no feel for these teams now, unfortunately, because I just look if Harden know.
1: is if Harden genuinely had his chest cough thing that we've been reading about, where he was he was actually his energy was even lower. <laughs> if we believe his he was sick, and he's better, that's a bad sign because this means either Kawhi needs to play his perfect fourteen for eighteen and be perfect, or they're going to need again they're going to need Lamar. 20 from LaMarcus or 20 from Simmons, or they're going to need someone to score 20 points. And that's the... they got eight options, I guess, the Spurs. Someone scored 20, but um, that, for me, is where it will come from. Can they pace, score?
0: pace is the thing. Someone mean, help? If, yeah. if these games are shootouts, um, Houston will generally run away, but if Spurs can keep it close, keep it slower... Um, I think the Spurs will grind out the games. It, Decker scares me. I've got to tell you, I'm, I'm petrified. I just can see Decker. I don't think he's going to play massive minutes, but I can see him having the 10-minute, 15 minutes in in game five or six and just coming in and going three from four from three and just having that little burst that you go, oh, the game's been taken away from us in that little run.
1: The Norm Powell, yeah, the young guy has got nothing to lose and mm.
0: doesn't have context to scare anything yet and just going to go – Give a 1,000% in his 10 minutes, yeah. Yep. So let's go to the final series. I've got a bit more of a feel for this one um, in terms of a prediction anyway. Whether it comes off or not, we'll wait and see. But that's the, the Wizards and the Celtics. I feel like the Wizards have dominated this series, and yet it's 2-2. Um, they've had double-figure leads in every game uh, thus far. They really blew game two badly down the stretch. Uh, And then they've blown Boston out um, uh, in the last two games. And I know you love a good plus-minus. There were some good plus-minuses in today's game. If you saw it, Al Horford was minus 36. And I think uh, Gortut and Porter were plus 34 in the game today. So the starting five from the Wizards just absolutely destroyed the starting five from uh, the Celtics, particularly in the third quarter when they went on a big run. And then they just... I was sort of checking the scores at the time, and Boston were leading at the start of the third quarter by five, and then I turned – I flicked it back on. It must have been 15 minutes later, and they were down 20. So They went ape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, that's the part I did watch. I got to say it was
0: – I just sort of cherry-picked
1: this game where I saw the same thing. It was tied at halftime, and then, yeah, Boston actually started up the third quarter really well and sucked it there. They're down by 20.
0: Um, Sorry, I interrupted you. What was the question? No, Well, the, the, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, look... That was fun. I, I feel like, that was a... the, as I said, I, I feel like the Wizards have dominated this series. I don't see any... I, I, I've been a non-believer in Boston right through the season. I'm still a non-believer. I mean, I did think they'd get past Chicago, but that was about as far as I saw them going. I mean, do you, do you sort of see this? I, I think this will be over in six, maybe Boston push it out to seven, but even the game seven... In Boston doesn't scare me, from the Wizards' What's, point of view. What
1: should scare everyone in Boston, right? So you know, I've been sort of—I thought the Wizards in September, I thought they'd be the number two seed. I just mm. in my again, my if you come from Neptune and watch NBA basketball, that's like my perfect starting five. If Morris wasn't such a pussy, um, <laughs> it's perfect starting five. I love how they play, um, especially the way Porter's developed. So I've I've been high on them. Pleasantly surprised by Scotty Brooks and ta-da, almost perfect health the entire season. Mm. And here we are again, perfect health. But what should really scare Boston is that John Wall was fucking garbage. He was hot garbage today, eight for 25. Right, with seven turnovers, terrible, and they won by 19. Mm. That's right. So I go that because he's been a he's been unbelievable for most of the series, but today Beal picked him up. Beal's drilling shots. Porter was highly efficient, 18 points on nine shots. Um, goofball Morris got 10 rebounds, five assists, three steals. So he was playing, actually playing
0: hard. Um, and then, well, here's the thing um, too: on on the Wizards, not one of Wall, Beal, or Porter are shooting over 35% from three for the entire series. So no. Wall's only shooting 20 27%. Porter shooting 25% and Beale shooting 34%. So, and they're still, they're at 2-2. You feel like they've got their nose in front in this series. Boston outscored Washington by 15 from
1: three-point land today. Mm. They're 15 points up, right? So that means Washington outscored them by 34 in the other parts of the game. And only six of that was from the free throw line. So they just got wherever they wanted to on the court. That's what that tells me, which what we knew about Boston. Where's Boston's defense? Boston's not – Boston is Isaiah and their heart and their, I don't know, clever little <laughs> Bradley, Bradley Stevens. But I go, I'm with you. I think you and I have been in lock sink the whole year where I've just been waiting for the shoe to drop with them, just like waiting for them to go away. Kind of oh. like I thought they. I thought they'd be Charlotte. <laughs> to be where you know where the Hornets were, just kind of you just can't put it together. Well, their and Achilles' maybe here all year that.
0: has been rebounding, and it's really coming down in this series. They're they're down minus seven on the boards every game. They're only averaging thirty-seven rebounds a game. Um, the big Al Orford pulled down a big five rebounds today. They just don't have. Um, I mean, one of their top rebounders is Terry Rozier. For the series. That's why he's playing. That's exactly why he's playing. <laughs> so um, it's it's a strange... It's been a... Well, it's been their Achilles. And as I said, you, you look at it and just think, this is a team that just... They get in the hole, try and shoot their way out of it, as I said earlier. Um, and it, it, sometimes it works, and they can pull out a, a win like they did in games one and two, um, but sometimes they dig themselves into a deeper hole, and that's exactly what happened today. So I, I think the Wizards just got that advantage uh, inside in the series. even though. And, and if Wall and Beal have a game where they are shooting well from the outside, I think it's going to be shut the gate. Um, and, and they smell blood now, I feel like, the Wizards. Um, I'm 100% with you, 100%. <laughs> I think the
1: – what's the NBA average about – Offensive, defensive rebounding is about 77-23, something like that. Today, it was um Washington had 12 offensive rebounds. the Celtics only had 22 defensive rebounds. They got 12 mm. of 34 possible rebounds, which is 35, 36 percent, which is a, uh, you know, it gave them a bunch of extra opportunities and free throw attempts, you know, yeah. on on putbacks and things. So that's a that is a great point. That's the that's the telltale stat, and I go. John Wall was terrible. The Wizards turned it over 19 times and got outscored by 15 points from three-point land. If I gave you those three facts, right? Right? Those three facts. Wall was terrible, eight for 25. They got outscored by 15 from three and had 19 turnovers. You go, yep, lost them by 20. No, Wizards by 20. And that's the Wizards. That's what tells me.
0: That's the Wizards' Achilles heel of the turnovers. So if you're winning that turnover battle uh, and losing the game by that much... That's a real telltale sign. Um, and people, I mean, with the rebounding, I mean, I, I just had a little slide dig at Al Horford and people are sort of criticising Al Horford. But I guess in his defence, he's never been a strong rebounder. It's never been a part of his game. I don't think they ever bought him in thinking he was going to average 10 rebounds a game. So you got to know what you're, what you're sort of bringing in with Al Horford. And it's more about the... the The hoops IQ he brings you on the offensive end. The ability to space space the floor is a big guy. good passer. Yeah, so a beautiful passer. So I don't think you can... This is where I would have loved the Kenneth Fareed. And we spoke about him. Someone like that. Someone's just going to be an, an absolute animal and do nothing other than just go out there and give me 10 boards in a game. And don't worry about the offensive end. You know, maybe do a little bit of pick and roll, put back offensive rebounds or whatever, but that's the sort of player they need. And just, I think the lack of activity from Boston uh, to add to this roster has been a real source of frustration um, well, for me, and I'm sure their fans, because I'm not saying that, and everyone's <coughs> saying, oh, they need to bring in Jimmy Butler and Paul George. It wasn't even a bringing in that. It was a bringing in anyone that could help. You know, I mean, other than Larry Sanders, yeah. like someone that's going to be able to actually help get some rebounds and address the glaring weakness that you have in your team. And and maybe he's not ready. Maybe it's it's too early in his
1: career. But I'm been surprised by like what well, guys like um um Rozier's getting such a run, but Jalen Brown isn't. Like I know he's a rookie. I know he's only. 20 years old, but I he's not getting any time, and again, I probably should have to trust Stevens. But I thought someone like him, right, who with his athleticism and shot sort of shot creation, I just thought so. Ah, maybe I just wanted to see him, you know, kind of be an X factor,
0: I'm just sort of playing it quite straight. I yeah, guess. he, he sort of hit the rookie wall. Um... I don't that know, must about be three it. Three quarters of the way through the season, Jalen Brown, um, and and Stevens. He starred the series with Gerald Green. That didn't work. That was a disaster. I think we've seen uh, we're not going to see too much more of Gerald Green. No. Certainly not in this series, um, as you say, Jalen Brown. I think hit the rookie wall. James has not really showed anything. Alenik and Rozier now,
1: right? That's like their critical on oh, Smart, obviously. But Alinic, Smart, and Rozier is kind of like their core rotation. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, that's right. So I think there's I think he's just limited. He's got a guy he's a guy that has played his full roster across the year, but I just think he's um a little bit limited and maybe he just doesn't trust some of the guys either. To bring yeah. it up. To be fair, they're two two, so it's not you know, we're sort of making out like washing way ahead, um, in the series or something. it feels like it should be three one, but it's not. Washington blew that game, so and they've still got home court, so it's not well. It's not the end of the but world. It was for the Boston, but. it was the Herculean, Herculean giant heart, heavy
1: hearted Isaiah game one, and then because of Washington had that huge lead, and then Isaiah went mental, and then it was the just for some Washington just got tired. They ran out of gas in game two. Had two fairly easy shots at the end, of the last possession yeah. to win the game. It was a brick and an air ball, and then got blown out in overtime. But you're right, they're for 40 to 44 minutes of those first two games, they were probably the better team. But then, you know, um, these last two they've dominated. So you're right. They've they've taken it to them. They've played Wizards ball, and they're pretty they're pretty healthy. So I'm kind of with you with this one. Unless Isaiah goes, how does Isaiah only shoot 14 times?
0: Oh, know, I think like, he's oh, I tired. Have... I mean, he's been through a lot. of is he getting here. tired. I think yeah. there may be some some fatigue setting in there. Maybe uh, you just need to
1: take a game off, kind of like San Antonio did today
0: well, or yesterday. Maybe. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so this is a resting thing, you know, saving up for game <laughs> five. But well, there's no doubt that, that that some of those coaches are doing it and putting their players in cotton wool earlier than what we expect. Yeah. The thing I'd so say. So I'm gonna,
1: yeah, I'm going with you. I'm going to say Wizards in six. They should win the next two, but that's. By stake putting my stake in the ground, that probably means Isaiah's gonna score fifty and fifty, you know, so who knows, right? Yeah. But All Wizards the... should I would like to see Wizards Cleveland, to be honest. Yeah, I don't think the I don't I think the Celtics know. are yeah, I don't think the Celtics are gonna be their their defense and not that Cleveland's a dominant rebounding team, but I just think God, LeBron and Tristan will just Yeah. <laughs>
0: they will uh, be Four even four Jay Crowders to keep up, right? That's a sweep. That'd be a sweep. Yeah. Um, the thing, why I want to see the Wizards there, I think the Wizards are one of the only teams in the Eastern Conference that would have gone up against Cleveland and thought, we've got, we give ourselves a chance. We're not scared. We're not going to be disrespected. Um, you know, they they will have the confidence that they can beat Cleveland. I don't think they're going to have any doubt. Especially in the backcourt, right? Exactly. Man. Like, Wall, Wall's just going to go, Jeez. I am going to destroy Kyrie Irving every time down the court. He will believe yeah. he's the best player on the court, even though clearly... And Wall I has been awesome. Problem. Yeah. So Wall's got that confidence, and that, that bleeds into the rest of the players. Like, then, Bill, he's, he's got his tail up. Although, Porter plays with confidence. Uh, Mark F. Morris, he's, never, he's not going to be afraid of anything. I know he brings it... Uh, only, only, on occasion, uh, from game to game. But certainly, there's there's not going to be any worry from him about the moment's going to be too big, or you know, we're like like this is a team we don't believe we can beat, and I think that was what it came down to, really, with the Raptors and the Pacers. I don't think they really believed that they could beat Cleveland, um, and they hadn't certainly hadn't earned the respect of the Cavs. Um, whereas I think the Wizards are going to be capable of doing that. And as I said at the start, I, I feel like these uh, the conference finals are going to be a bit more competitive than what people are possibly thinking at this stage, um, depending on who gets through. Um, I think the Spurs will be more competitive, oh, as I said, over yeah. a series, but I think... Houston are going to have a couple of games where they're going to push the Warriors at the very least and that may lead into a six-game series. Maybe the Warriors come through, but just to see the Warriors pushed for a game would be nice at this stage, Um, not to mention the Cavs. and I just don't know if the Cavs can keep shooting the way that they shot in that Raptor series either. That was just ridiculous. Yeah, that... (laughs) Yeah. If they do, well, no, I, I even Gallimstein may struggle. It, it, yeah,
1: it, seriously. But uh, like that's not sustainable. We know that. But that um, shows you how they're playing and the confidence they're playing with. And dare I say, right, we've talked about this a couple of times ago, a couple of episodes ago. They're having fun. It's fun now. It's fun for them, right? They enjoy this. They enjoy ripping the souls out of teams <laughs> and sending them home to... You know, to Bermuda or Barbados or wherever they're going. But um Well I'd say that's what's you know, happening the to Utah tomorrow. Yeah, they're done. There's no chance they're gonna win that game. That's okay. Um but um uh, I think I think yeah. Well I won't say it. Not well we'll see Washington.
0: we'll see with Washington. I mean look, I, I think it'll be Washington Cavs. Um look if you if you put a gun to my head I think it'll be Spurs Warriors, but Gee, I've still got no real idea what's going to happen. Well, it's going to. I think the other thing, last thing I'd say, and I want to end, is Spurs Rockets. There's going to be one game which is ridiculously close, and you're going to look back on say, "Wow, what a game!" of basketball. It's going to come. I believe it'll come in game six, but just to throw out, it just a random prediction. but what I think we'll see one of the next two games is going to be really close down to the wire and you're going to see Kawhi and, and and Harden go head-to-head in the last five minutes, which is really what we've been waiting to see this entire series.
1: I just, I really hope that's a game seven. I really... No, I have a okay, feeling I've had, they're had too s- many close game they They're going to split years. the next two. Yeah, well... I've had too many. I've, yeah, oh, one, level one. Mr. Five championships, I don't have a lot of sympathy <laughs> for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, sorry mate. Well we'll leave it there. We'll next week um uh, we'll we'll talk again and see where we're at. Um and we might have a clearer well by then we'll have a clearer picture of conference finals and we can sort of pontificate a bit more and, and maybe look ahead too to the uh the draft lottery which will be happening next week as well. go whiz. Yep. That's it, go whiz. I agree. All right, thanks, Darren. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, buddy. Bye. Bye.